0: This morning, as we think about, with this message ringing in our minds and thinking about sanctity of human life, there's one very simple truth for today and three applications of that truth for each of us. The truth from God's word is simply this. Life is a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. There are about 25 words in the Old Testament that are used to describe some aspect or some element of life. And there are an additional 30 different words used in the New Testament which count for well over a thousand uses of the word life in the Bible. Now, life is used to describe a number of things like village life or a sinful life. A person had a way of life or just everyday life. We might call somebody the life of the party uh, or say that someone lived a full life. Uh, as we celebrate and remember them and their death, life can mean a lot of things both now and in Bible usage and in Bible times. The word is very versatile in its usage as there are two uses of the word "life in the Bible: that tower, head and shoulders, above every other use of the word, both in frequency and in meaning. We start with the most common usage this morning when the Bible refers to life, it most often refers to physical life you have life because your heart is beating your lungs are moving oxygen from your your lungs into your bloodstream into uh, the extremities of your body and your organs are functioning like they're supposed to be you are alive because God gave you life and the Bible tells us that God is sustaining your very life at this moment It's not something that God winds up and sets in motion. He is actively sustaining the very life that you have in this second. And in the Genesis account of creation, we read that God made man. And in chapter 2, verse 7, we read these words. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Life and living in that verse come from the same root word, which means life or a state of living that is in contrast to death. It means being alive as in something has movement, it has vigor, it has animation about it, it is therefore alive. Now, abiogenesis is the study of the origin of life or how life came from inanimate matter. You know, we talk about the theory of evolution, evolutionists have to kind of give an account for this. How did that which had no life, which was not moving, which had no ability uh, to function, to live on its own, how did that which was not living come to be something which was living and moving and breathing and all of these things? Where did that jump occur? How did that happen? And I'm not even going to attempt to outline all the thoughts on that from a secular humanistic point of view, partly because I can't even pronounce all the words used to describe all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of information, but a couple of general theories uh, that that secular individuals will speculate. Some say that lightning created the energy that's necessary to jumpstart life. You know, lightning strikes a rock and that rock is living, or, you know, lightning strikes something that's inanimate, and then boom, it's alive all of a sudden. Others speculate that it happened on Christmas. Crystals In some way and, and again a lot of details on how crystals kind of did that others talk about the fact that life may have come from aliens who implanted it on earth. I'm dead serious. Leading experts in the world. If you've not seen uh, Ben Ben Stein's movie, Expelled, I encourage you to look at that and and talk about uh, the the issues raised in that with with issues of right to life and the origins of life where he interviews one of the world's leading experts who says, "Yeah, we think aliens may have came and implanted life. And Stein looks at him and says... You don't think that's more of a jump than believing there was a creator out there somewhere? And the guy's like, no, we think that happened. You know, it could be a possibility. Uh, So it's an interesting part of that movie. Uh, But others say that maybe life made its way through the universe uh, from other planets on cosmic dust or, or something along those lines. But you see, the Bible tells us, and I just read it, that it says, God formed man. And that word formed means to fashion, to shape, or to create with one's own hands God formed man, it says, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That which was inanimate became living, moving, having life and vigor within it from the very mouth of God himself. So God created Adam after he had formed and created him, and then he removed uh, the, the rib and created Eve, uh, and the gift of life then was started. The state of living and being alive was passed to every other human being from this man and from this woman. And any discussion about the origin of life would be incomplete without reading Jeremiah 1 uh, or David's words in Psalm 139. If you turn to Psalm 139, the pro-choice debate talks about where life begins. I want to encourage you, to turn to Psalm 139. We're going to look at that in a few moments. But this pro-choice debate talks about when does life begin. That's kind of the key issue they look at with laws and legislation and things along those lines. Well, I posit that life is not a beginning point. It is a continuation of life that is there. Because the issue is not that you have an inanimate inanimate cell and an inanimate cell that come together and have life. Where does life begin? The cell, the seed from man that is united with the cell, the seed from woman are both living. They are alive when they join together to create and to continue on a new living cell, living being in that. Does that make sense? It's not inanimate object, inanimate object, boom, you have life. It's living cell, living cell together, continuation of life. That's how conception takes place. That's how life begins. Now, parents, I'm being very vague in that for your benefit, okay? You, you can discuss the details of that a little bit later because I don't want to be like the kindergarten teacher who got a call from an irate parent one day. This mom called. She was livid because her kindergarten daughter came home and said, guess what? Miss Smith taught us how to make babies today. So the mom called this teacher and lit her up on the telephone that this was not her business, not her place to tell her kindergarten daughter these type things. And the teacher said, well, did you ask your daughter how you make babies? And she said, Well, no, that, 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 but we're not ready for that yet. She said, I'll tell you what. She said, You go ask your daughter how you make babies and call me back in five minutes. I'll be waiting by the telephone. So the mom went and said, Honey, how did Miss Smith tell you you make babies? And she said, Drop the Y and add I-E-S. So, parents, I'll leave that for you to discuss uh, on your own. But this understanding that, that life is a continuation, it's not a creation of new life, it's a continuation of life that is there from the mother and father, which was given by God, who is the author and the creator of life and every living cell uh, and, and molecule that's within that cell. God is personally and intimately involved in the creation of every human life. Listen to what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you. There's that word formed again. Same word as in the Genesis account this making, creating as with one's own hands. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before. Before God knew. Before the cells of his mother and father united to form the cell that would grow to be Jeremiah, God knew him. And that word knew refers to God's understanding of a full person as in adulthood. God knew before Jeremiah was formed his height, his weight, his hair color. He knew every physical trait and characteristic of Jeremiah. But God also knew his hopes He knew his dreams. He knew his fears. He knew the inadequacy Jeremiah would feel when God said, I want you to go and be my prophet, be my messenger, and speak to these people. And Jeremiah said, Lord, I can't do that. He knew before he was ever formed in his mother's womb, God knew Jeremiah would wrestle with those fears of inadequacy. God knew the suffering God knew the rejection. God knew the sorrow that Jeremiah would experience. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Because his task was difficult. And he struggled with the rejection and the persecution he faced by simply being faithful to what God had called him to. But God knew all of these things, it says, before he ever formed him in his mother's womb. And God adds, before you were born... I set you apart. God set him apart to be his prophet, to warn them of the impending invasion from the Babylonians. And God knew of his fears with that. But never forget that when God calls us to a task, regardless of how overwhelming it may seem, he provides everything we need to accomplish that task. God knew all of these things about Jeremiah and yet God had provided everything that Jeremiah was going to need to be faithful to God's call upon his life. But this understanding of God's knowledge before conception, before God gave Jeremiah life and formed him in his mother's womb. Now look with me at Psalm 139 and let's see David's description. These words that David speaks on this issue. Psalm 139 All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Again, in David's description, we see the depth of intimacy and the personal hands on involvement God has with every single human life. When David says, You created my inmost being, that that wording in Hebrew literally means, You created my kidneys. Because in Hebrew thought, the kidneys were thought to be the seat of longing and desire uh, and passions that we had. So David is saying, you created uh, what I hunger, what I thirst, what I long for. But we've kind of moved that more to say a heart about something. You know, he has a heart for teenagers or she has a heart for missions or I love you with all my heart. It's the seat of longings and passions and things like that. So with Valentine's Day fast approaching, ladies, if you get a card that says the desire and longing of my kidneys, honey, is is to love you and to know you and and to provide for you. Just know that your husband's being biblical, okay, or your boyfriend is being thoroughly biblical. But it speaks of this intimate knowledge that God has of the immaterial part of us, not just the, the physical portions of our body, but the essence of life that God has placed within each of us. And then the rest of this passage speaks of God's unique role in physical development. He says, you knit me together and when I was woven together. What do those two pictures bring to your mind? Knitting and weaving, it's very detailed, is it not? Attention to detail, small things. How do you do that, though? You do it with your hands. Knitting and weaving is is a hands process. God knit, God wove us together uh, in, in our mother's womb. And that's straightforward, but when he refers to the secret place, the depths of the earth, those are used figuratively to describe the womb and what's taking place in creation But David said it's in those places, it's in the earth, it's in the secret place. He says that you, your eye saw, he says. He says to God, your eye saw my unformed body. You see, God is present. God can see and is involved in creating and fashioning life in a way, in a place that no human being will ever be. God is there. In that place, creating and giving life as he wills, as he determines, as he personally and intimately creates. David thought about this and just think of this detail and what God can see and and God in that place that no human being will ever be in, in establishing life. And he says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It was overwhelming for David to think about this incredible power that God has. And he stood in awe. Of all of it. Now we understand a little better today than what David did in his time, but it is still no less amazing this process of conception and life and growth and how God oversees and set all these things in motion. And still today, his hand personally watches over all of these things. When two cells unite on the day of conception, they form a zygote or an embryo, as it's called. That living cell on day one has 46 chromosomes, 23 from the mother and 23 from the father. Yet that embryo is smaller than a grain of salt. But you know what? It contains every piece of genetic information necessary to grow into a fully formed and functioning human life. Smaller than a grain of salt but has everything it needs to become one of you or one of me a person fully functional in every capacity by day 8 that embryo is the size of a period at the end of a sentence on your bulletin between days 18 and 20 days 18 and 20 how many weeks are we talking here Three, seven days in a week, 21, I know that part of math. All right, so between days 18 and 20, less than three weeks, the foundation for the brain, the spinal cord, and the nervous system are laid and set in place. And by day 21, the heart begins to beat, which is followed by the development of the eyes starting on day 22. Raise your hand for just a moment. Raise your hand. Wiggle your fingers. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Now, just think for a second how many different thought processes, commands, uh, instructions went into you raising your hand and wiggling your fingers. First of all, something came from my body, my vocal cords here that said raise your hand. Those were sound waves in the air that hit your ears, made your eardrums move, hit some bones that vibrated that went to your brain and said, oh, there's a sound wave out here that's moving air. And it said, what? Oh, it said, raise your hand. So you had to interpret that, first of all, from me to you. And then your brain said, oh, he said, raise your hand. And I said, everybody. And then you went, oh, that means me too. So realize realized it was for you. So your brain's registering this stuff. And then your brain said, Hand move. Well, your hand isn't going to jump up by itself. It had to travel from your brain down your arm, your shoulders, your muscles, your bones, your tendons that are there to go. So you raised your hand. That was not a simple process. A lot took place in that. And then I said, now wiggle your fingers. And your brain said, oh, more instructions coming through the air. Muscles, tendons, bones. Let's all do this number here. How intricate was that process? How many things took place in that that all started? From two cells that on day one, smaller than a grain of salt, that God created and oversaw from day one to the very second, about a minute and a half ago, when I said, Hey, raise your hand and wiggle your fingers. It's incredible the detail, the personal involvement, and the power of God overseeing that process. That's why David said, Yes, I am fearfully. And wonderfully made. And he says of God, your works, your works are wonderful. Because God and God alone can do that work. Life is a gift from God. He is the giver, the author, the creator, and the sustainer of all life. That is today's truth. And I said there were three applications of it. First, we set aside this day called Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and I challenge all of us as believers to protect the precious gift of human life. A charge that we are given, a mandate laid out for us in Scripture is to protect the gift of human life. And that includes the lives of unborn children who cannot speak, who cannot defend themselves and make a cause for their own existence. They can't plead their case, so it is up to us to stand for uh, on their behalf and to champion that cause for those who are yet to be born. But it also extends to situations and issues where human life is devalued and needlessly taken, cases of genocide or euthanasia or other instances. This is not a political issue. This is not a social issue. It's an issue of morality as we rightly divide and understand and apply God's word to our lives and to the culture and the society we live in. That's the issue. It's not political. It's not social. It is the issue of God's word and the instruction that it gives. The Bible tells us God is the giver of life and then gives hundreds of commands and instruction in His word, telling us to protect the life that He gives. The real issue here is that of devaluing human life. We don't think it's significant. Or we're so selfish for us that we don't think of others and we devalue and we don't stand and defend. That cause is there. But we should value every human life because every human life is a precious gift from God. You heard Mark Schultz' testimony. Had his mother chosen uh, to abort him, we would have never heard that testimony or that powerful song. Just over 22 years ago, a young woman was counseled that she wouldn't be able to carry her baby to term uh, and was challenged to abort that baby because of her religious convictions and her belief in what the Bible teaches. She said, no, I'm not going to do that, and if it costs me my life, it costs me my life, but I will not do this uh, to this child that, that God has given me. And so she carried that child to term. Uh, she did manage to give birth. It was kind of a small baby, uh, but, but did well and began to grow and, and mature. And in 2007, that young baby mo- who they told his mother, You will never be able to carry this baby to term. You need to get rid of. That young baby in 2007 walked across the stage in New York and accepted the Heisman Trophy. You know his name? Tim Tebow. And now he has two national championship titles and a Heisman tro- Trophy in his cabinet. Now, I came from Florida, and I said, there's, I'm thankful there's a godly influence uh, in, in Florida, in Gator Nation down there now. Tim Tebow's been a tremendous young man. He travels and speaks on issues of right to life because of his mother's testimony and what God has done in their lives. It's a powerful story uh, of God delivering and using that young man in a powerful way. But when we think about the millions of lives that have been lost since Roe v. Wade, it's impossible to calculate the impact upon our society. Because we're never going to know what teachers or doctors or engineers or artists and musicians, authors and pastors and evangelists or missionaries never got to respond to God's call upon their lives like David or Jeremiah did because their life was never given the opportunity to grow and to develop and for God to use them in a powerful way. Life is a gift from God and we must protect it. And you can do that in several ways. One, you need to pray for right-to-life issues. Make it a matter of regular and consistent prayer in your life, both at local, state, and national levels. Secondly, I would encourage you to get trained and to serve uh, at Alternative Pregnancy Center or Right to Life Ministries. Uh, you can do that uh, by being a counselor, uh, by, by giving educational resources, uh, by, by giving money for researching and for grants or for, for providing publicity in the community. So many ways you can serve in Alternative Pregnancy Centers, and I encourage you to do that. There's a table in our foyer today from our local uh, pregnancy center where there's information, and you can go by and see how you can get involved and how you can help them serve our community and provide alternatives for for young ladies who are in a situation having to make this choice and what they're going to do and knowing the options that are available to them in this very difficult time in their lives. And so I encourage you to serve and be a part of that. You can also supply an alternative pregnancy pregnancy center uh, by providing things that they need. Make it a habit to regularly pick up newborn diapers and formula and other things that are regularly used uh, in those places. Hey, if you're a senior adult, have some fun with that. You go, on oh, I don't need buy this baby stuff. Put it on the conveyor belt when they look at you and raise their eyebrows. Go, getting ready for the big day. <laughs> have some fun with it. You know, it's okay to, 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 to play. Go ahead. Be involved, be active in public policy. Some of you have the skills and the connections and the resources necessary to marshal signatures and gather votes and organize campaigns to to help our elected officials know how their constituents feel about right-to-life issues and and how they should vote uh, and stand on this important thing in our culture, in our society. Life is a gift from God, and we must protect it. But secondly, we need to make the most of it. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, and he's talking about Satan there, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants his children to have a full and abundant life. That's an awesome promise from God's word. But a full life comes only when our life is surrendered to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. That's how we have a full and abundant life. Life is to walk in relationship and communion and fellowship with God. So, so maintain your walk with Christ to have that abundant life that God wants. Life is short. Make time for what's most important. David wrote in Psalm 39, 5, You have made my days a mere hand breath. You go, well, what's a hand breath? That's the width of your hand. That was a measurement then. They didn't carry tape measures and rulers. Say, how many hand is it? You'd measure one, two, three. David says, that's how big... Our life is. In the grand scheme of things, that's how long our life is. Or he says, each man's life is but a breath. A breath. It's been cold this week. My kids are still going up, going, look, Dad. And what do you see when you do that in this frigid weather? You see your breath. How long does it last but an instant? David said, that's our life. Our life is the width of your hand. It's a breath gone. James adds in in James chapter 4, verse 14 says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Like the fog in the morning. Foggy mornings come out. It's thick and can't see and you make your way through. A couple of hours later, the sun comes out, burns it off. Life is short. Life is precious. Make the most of it and we make the most of it by walking in fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ. We have no guarantees of tomorrow, so make the most today. And I'm not talking big bucket list type stuff, you know, skydiving, climbing Mount Everest. I'm not talking big things like that. I'm saying make the most of today by setting priorities in your life. Priorities about what really matters most, your family, your loved ones. You know, sit down and have dinner with your family and, and talk about your day Put your kids to bed at night instead of running to the television or running to do whatever you're going to do. Spend 15, 20, 30 minutes talking about their day, talking about their hopes and their dreams and their fears and what's coming up this week. Spend that time with your kids at night. Pay the babysitter and go on a date with your spouse. Have that time out. Have that time together set priorities and follow those priorities about things which really are most important I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here about decisions we make and the lack of time we have and put into things I'm trying to challenge you to make changes you need to make today so that 5 or 10 years from now you won't feel guilty or as guilty because you didn't do some of these things because once that time is gone it is gone you can never get it back We've been made painfully aware of that this week. We had a church member, many of you knew, took their life last weekend. His family would give anything to have another opportunity. Many of you expressed another opportunity to speak and to encourage and, and try and offer words of hope and support and encouragement. Time is short. Make the most of it. And the Bible tells us to make the most of today. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow may hold if we will even see it. So make the most of those things today. Life is a gift from God. So protect it. Make the most of it. And finally, prepare it for eternity. Prepare it for eternity. The most common usage of the word life in the Bible refers to physical life. But the second, most commonly used, is in reference to the spiritual, to the immaterial part of our life, which pertains to our heart and to our soul and to our spirit. Why do you think that word would be used so frequently in that way? It's because you were created with a purpose. You were created with a purpose. The Discovery Channel has a show called How It's Made. Some of you may have seen that. They take you into a factory and they make something and a guy commentates and says, this is what they're doing and this is what they're doing and this is what they're doing. And you watch and you go, hmm, I would have never thought that. That's pretty ingenious how they do it. It's kind of fascinating to watch how things come into being. So we sit and we watch How It's Made and go, that was pretty cool. Well, what we've talked about today is is not just how we're made. I talked a little bit about that. But the bigger, most pressing issue for us is why we're made not just an issue of of how we're made what God does in that process but why are we made I think we can sometimes get so amped up about the right to life issue and, and standing for human life that that we feel like if we could just get laws passed and we could change those things to to protect unborn life so so children could be born that we would have completed the task and the mission of what God has called us to but that's wrong Protect life so that life can be born and given the chance to live. But birth marks only the beginning of the most important thing in life for each and every person. That is knowing Jesus Christ and making him known. The beginning of life starts that journey toward why we are made to know God, to love him, and to serve him, and to share him with others. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy two three that God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and he's referring here to people, not the physical creation of the earth and the plants and the trees. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever, well, whoever refers to people, that's how we know that when John says God so loved the world, he's talking about people. God so loved people that he sent his Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're made for a relationship with God that will last not just a lifetime, but for all eternity. That's why we're made. So the life that you have been given, the most important thing that you can do with that life is prepare it for eternity, to meet its maker and hopefully spend forever in his presence. And we do that by receiving His gift of salvation provided by his son, Jesus Christ. Life is a gift from God. So protect it, make the most of it, and prepare it for eternity. About a year ago, all this became very clear for me. God kind of tied it all together. Most of you uh, remember and have heard me share about my mother's battle with cancer. Well, last year uh, in 2008, not 2009, it's January now, so it's kind of this year thing, it's throwing me off a little bit. But in, in the fall of 2008, uh, my mom had just had a major surgery, was doing pretty well, uh, was handling the situation pretty good. And in November of that year, Anna, my middle child who was, uh, I think, seven at six at the time, uh, gave her heart and her life to Christ. We would prayed, and she knelt by her bedside and and placed her faith in Christ. And we were thrilled Caleb had done that, and and Anna prayed that prayer. We're still praying for Daniel. And so uh, we were excited. And I'll never forget, I was in prayer time, and I was thanking God for for the gift of salvation for Anna and the eternal life that she'd experienced and all that that meant for myself and for our family. And from there, very next to my prayer list was to pray for my mom and her battle with cancer and her end-of-life issues And in an instant, God brought two passages of Scripture to my mind that I went to in His Word. The first, God took me to Ecclesiastes 3, and I I read these words with tears uh, streaming down my cheek, thinking about all these things. He said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to, to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And I thought about We were mourning for my mom and all that was taking place and what would seem to be inevitable at that point. But we were dancing because of the gift of eternal life that Anna had received and what that meant for her and for us and even my mom because she had placed her faith in Christ. But the writer in Ecclesiastes goes on and he says this about God. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So many people miss that gift of salvation. And he ends with these words, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it, so men will revere him. God does it for his praise and his glory. And so I'm, I'm thinking through all these things and grappling with the emotion and, and all this. And then the Holy Spirit took me to 1 Thessalonians 4.18 where Paul is speaking of the rapture where the dead in Christ and those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air uh, and be with him forever. And then Paul adds this note to that wonderful promise. He says, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words, these words about the gift of eternal life. And I was encouraged that day because as I celebrated Anna's addition to God's family, I prayed to God that because of my mom's faith in Christ, we would all be together one day under His love, His protection, and His provision. You know, in the end, all those who are in Christ will be with Him. And grappling with mom's mortality and the situation of of Anna giving her life to Christ made these promises all the more precious. And my understanding of human life and how important it is that people give their lives to Christ made it all so much more important to me in that time. And I share that with you today to say this. Make the most of the precious life you have been given. Make the most of it. Make whatever changes you need to make. Don't wait for bad news to force your hand. Because unfortunately, not everyone gets the opportunity that that I had in that two years with my mom to to say the things that needed to be said and to do some of the things that we wanted to do as a family uh, and to speak to some things. We don't always get that opportunity. So make the most of today. At the end of our service each week, we extend an invitation or we invite you to respond to what God may have spoken to your heart through, serv- through the service and the message or music each week. Sometimes that means coming and speaking with the pastor about what God has spoken to you about or asking for prayer. But other times it may mean that you as an individual or a couple or a family may want to come and spend time in prayer on your knees at the altar and voice a personal or a private prayer to God acknowledging his voice in some way or surrendering yourself uh, to do what God has called you to do. I don't know what God may have spoken to your heart about today, but if, but if God has spoken, then, then I want you to know this invitation time is for you to respond and to come to what God may have spoken to your heart about. And I know there's a very realistic chance that in a room this size, there are individuals who have gone through abortions, who have had those, or, or maybe a, a lady that you were with or someone uh, has been a part of that and, and the heartache and the hurt that's there, I want you to know that there's forgiveness and there's grace and mercy at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's love for you has not changed. God's love for that child never wavered one bit. And God can use that story today in a powerful way to impact the lives of young women who are facing a very similar issue and who are grappling with that very serious decision. And you can speak to and speak into their lives of your story and your journey and what God has done in your heart and your life to bring you to the place that you are now. God can use that. So uh, please don't, don't hear and feel today that, that it's uh, something you're cast aside or, or, or unloved because of what may have taken place. But God may have been dealing with you about that issue today. Others of you may need to come today and you may need to prepare your life by, by, for eternity by giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've done that and you need to follow in Believer's Baptism and unite with our church or, or other things that God may have done. I don't know this morning what God may have spoken to your heart about, but as we come to our time of invitation, we open the altar, make pastors available. If God has spoken and you need to respond, then we want to give you that opportunity this morning. What do you need to do to make the most of the life of that God has given you. What do you need to do today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. And Lord, these principles from your word, this understanding of who we are, of how we were created. Lord, the the detail and the personal, Father, involvement from you into our lives is overwhelming, Lord, to think of your incredible love that you would have knit us together. You would have formed us. Father, you have given us life. You have sustained our lives. You have brought us to this point. To this very second. In this day and time. In this age. Father, to, to be your children. Father, to hear your call and your word that has spoken to us. Father, and to respond in obedience. And walk in obedience and faithfulness to your word. To your will and your plan for our lives. So in this moment, Lord, I pray that with great clarity you would reveal to us, Father, what it is you would have us do today, what we need to do in response to your Holy Spirit working. Father, give us the courage and the boldness to respond as you have spoken today. Lord, we give ourselves and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.